Peace, peace. We are back once again with Masterminds with Brother Shamel. I'm your host, Brother Shamel, and I'm glad to be back um, giving you this new episode. Um, and in this episode, um, this episode was inspired by uh, an event that happened a couple of days ago uh, where I visited a shop, a Tibetan shop, and I'm going to get into that story in a bit. But before I do that, um, I just want to continue to thank all of my supporters, all of those who have been listening to this broadcast, this podcast, and um, those who have um, been visiting my website. For those who have not, my website is shiml.com. That's S H E M hyphen el.com uh i noticed there's been a number of people who've come on and um actually subscribed to my email list gotten a free lesson um so i'm glad you um thank you for subscribing um getting on the email list and i hope that you enjoy the the lessons that i put in um the course will be in full full swing very soon working on it and um i love your feedback again as always definitely feel free to reach out to me um contact me through my website or my email address um shem45 at hotmail.com you can also in addition send a voice message if you listen on anchor you can just send a voice message um, give me your feedback, any questions, any comments, any critiques, uh, any topics you would like to hear, um, things of that nature. I would love to hear from you. Um, so with that being said, um, just going to get into this. Um, the title of this episode is The Wisdom of Buddha. And again, like I said, I was inspired well, first, let me let me say that um, being that I'm a member of the Moore Science Temple of America, uh, one of the things that we teach is that we honor all true and divine prophets, and that includes Buddha. Um, of course, the name Buddha means enlightened one, and we know that truth is but one, and then truth has been taught throughout the ages by many different masters, many different sages sages of the ages and um, Buddha definitely is no exception when you read the works and it, the light, just the life of Buddha um, is very inspiring but um, a couple of days ago I happened to actually stumble across a store in Cary, North Carolina I was actually did not intend to go there I actually intended to go to the store next to it um this particular day was it was raining pretty hard and um for some reason that store was closed it was it was um if i'm not mistaken it was an indian shop it was a clothing store um and i was looking for a particular garb and that store of course it wasn't open i didn't see anyone in there so the next door over, I think it was, um, forgive me, I, I apologize for not knowing the name of the store 
offhand. I may have to uh, pull that up and provide, give that shout out uh, from the store. But the store is on, uh, for those in the Cary, North Carolina area, it's on, is it East Chatham? East Chatham? Um, I think it's Himalaya or something. Um, but it's a Tibetan store. Long story short, it's a, it's a Tibetan store. I went in and I must say that I was highly impressed and highly um, um, pleased as soon as I walked in. Just there's very few places where I go where uh, when I enter it and leave, I just want to stay basically like it's been a long time since I walked in a store and wanted to stay there for a long time um and this store happened to be the most recent store in a long time and I was just 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 overwhelmed by the energy the positive energy it wasn't a lot of people um of course um the lady who's the owner of the shop was there and there was another lady at the time she was taking care of um checking her out at the checkout at the desk and so i was looking through um of course you could smell the incense um just a it just had a peaceful vibe you know the energy the sounds and everything and i was just looking through i was looking at all of the tibetan garbs the beads um just everything, the, the bowls, the sound bowls, everything. I'm just, just really taking it all in. And um, I ended up, uh, after the owner was done, so a short Tibetan woman, she walked up to me, you know, greeted me, of course, asked if there was anything I wanted, uh, if there was any help I needed, then, um, you know, to let her know. So uh, I took the time to engage in conversation, uh, she pointed to me to something that I was looking for. I was able to purchase that. And in addition to that, I purchased two books because I, I was I was checking the books out uh, while she was um, helping the lady. And I'm uh, and I love books. So the first book that came um, popped out to me was a book um, entitled Tibet and Tibetan Muslims by Dr. Abu Bakr. Uh, Amirud in Nadwi. And I, I thought that was very interesting um, that this book was there because, of course, I knew the woman, you know, just by seeing everything, you know, was not a Muslim. Um, but she was definitely from Tibet. And so she, this, the fact that she would have that book, and this is a very interesting book. Uh, I, I won't get into it um, in this broadcast, but uh, it definitely highlights um, the religion of Islam in Tibet and in its relationship to in the relationship of the um, the Muslims in that area to the Buddhists, how they lived um, in harmony. Actually, um, how many of the um, Muslims there. Um, went there were migrated after facing persecution in other lands so that was interesting and and then I asked her um, you know 
what would you say what book do you suggest and she pointed out to a particular book she said um, a lot of people get this this is a, a great start and if you're interested in learning you know more about um, Tibetan teachings which was a book entitled eight verses for training the mind and um, I just cracked it open and started getting into it and it's a very good book uh, one of the things while I'm at it um, before I get into deeper into the lesson is it makes a point to say that the Tibetan Buddhism is no different than the Buddhism in India it goes into the lessons about comparing the mind to water and I always give that analogy of water um, it basically says that the pollutants in water are not you know part and partial of the mind but they can be removed and the water is pure by nature so anything that pollutes the water technically can be removed it's the same thing with the mind so the clear nature of our mind is pure from its beginning but we're affected by ignorance by programming by concepts uh, constructs that are placed in it and that pollutes the mind however they can be removed by development of the spirit a spiritual enlightenment I should say um, because there's an interesting concept most people think or even some of the more enlightened ones or those who are more elevated in consciousness will say that man is mind and in reality we are more than mind uh, which is kind of a which is kind of a, an inspiration to me producing my course which is called Meta Mind Mastery Meta meaning beyond mind um, of course mind is powerful mind is the universe is mental there's no doubt about that but man himself is not the body or the soul he's, he's a spirit and a part of the omnipotent so you can lose your mind like the Scarface uh, or the Ghetto Boys song my mind's play tricks on me you know your mind can play tricks on you you can lose your mind but you can't lose the self you are the self so with that being said I want to uh, get into um, just aspects of the Circle 7 and I'm going to start with a few verses from chapter 11, uh, one of our favorite chapters. Um, Jesus and Bharata, together they read the sacred books. Um, side note, um, in my research, I came to realize that the word India, um, of course, which was given by, Euro is a name that was given by Europeans to that land. And the original name of the land of India was Bharat, uh, similar to Bharata. Okay, so just put that in mind. So in verse 1 of chapter 11 of Circle 7, it says, Among the Buddhist priests was one who saw a lofty wisdom in the words that Jesus spoke. It was Bharata Arabo. And two, together, Jesus and Bharata 
read the Jewish Psalms and Prophets, read the Vedas, the Avista, and the Wisdom of Gautama. Keep in mind that is referring to Buddha. Verse 3. And as they read and talked about the possibilities of man, Paratha said, Man is the marvel of the universe. He is part of every thing, for he has been a living thing on every plane of life. Time was when man was not. And then he was a bit of formless substance in the molds of time, and then a protoplast. By universal law, all things tend upward to a state of perfectness. The protoplast evolved, becoming worm, then reptile, bird, and beast. And then at last it reached the form of man. Now man himself is mind and mind is here to gain perfection by experience and mind is often manifest in fleshly form and in the form best suited for its growth. So mind may manifest as worm or beast or man or bird or beast or man. The time will come when everything of life will be evolved unto the state of perfect man. And after man is man in perfectness, he will evolve to higher forms of life. And Jesus said, Barata Arabo, who told you this? That man, that mind, I'm sorry, who told you this? That mind, which is man, may manifest in flesh of beast or bird or creeping thing. Barata said, from time which man remembers not our priests have told us so and so we know and Jesus said enlighten Arebo are you a mastermind and do not know that man knows naught by being told man may believe what others say but thus he never knows if man would know he he must himself be what he knows I'll repeat that man may believe what others say but thus he never knows if man would know he must himself be what he knows so I want to stop there and the reason for me just reading that passage was one to establish that in the circle 7 it speaks about the wisdom of Buddha it speaks about uh Jesus having a conversation with a Buddhist um, and just a conversation in reference to that Buddhist measure of understanding of the teachings and I want to put that in in context Um, because if you and I've gone into chapter 11 extensively before if you understand it Jesus in this story in this account is not questioning the teachings of Buddha rather he's questioning the measure of understanding of these teachings and he's basically saying you know you may believe 
what someone tells you, but you don't know. You must be what you know. Okay. Man knows naught by being told. Uh, and naught is equated with falsehood. Basically, he's saying you know falsehood by being told. You don't know truth. You know the illusion. Because again, it's not real. It's not that which you can confirm. So with that being said, I wanted to dive into some of the teachings that is taught in Buddhism. Um, and again, I'm not a, just to put it out there, I'm not a, I'm not a practicing Buddhist, though I do give honors to Buddha and honors to all Buddhists, uh, Confucius, Muslims, etc., those who are seeking the path of enlightenment and just want to get into um, some of the things that I speak about. Uh, I will be reading from some actual excerpts from my books in particular, who is Elohim and how many days are in the circle, because in those books, I actually go into some of these teachings. So one of the things, since we're talking about the mind in this particular in this particular um, section of chapter 11 it's important that we understand uh, that part in verses 8 and 9 of the circle 7 chapter uh, well no not even that we can go to verses 8 and 9 of the circle 7 chapter 12 the next chapter over where there's the an account of Jesus talking to people working um, tillers of the ground and in which they're speaking about um, you know working until they die and go to heaven basically and in verses 8 and 9 of chapter 12 it says and Jesus said my brother man your thoughts are wrong your heaven is not far away and it is not a place of meets and bounds it's not a country to be reached it is a state of mind Allah never made a heaven for man he never made a hell we are creators and create our own so that passage confirms the fact that we create things by way of our thoughts okay which is why you know it's understandable that people would say that man is mine we become what we think about as it states in the book of proverbs chapter 23 verse 7 in part it says for as he thinketh in his heart so is he so what we discover is that our thoughts produce various states of mind these states of mind determine the quality of life that we live on the physical plane, as it is described in the sacred wisdom of Tehuti, known as the Kabbalion. Everything is mental. So the question is, what exactly are the states of mind? The states of mind are aspects of the mind that apprehend the quality of persons, places, and things, and that have the potential to alter the mind. The states of mind in Buddhism are listed within the teachings of the Abhidhamma. So, Api, which means higher, and Dharma, 
meaning teaching, a phenomenon, which is basically Buddhist psychology. The seven universal states of mind recognized in Buddhism are as follows. Contact, feeling, perception, volition, one-pointedness, life faculty, and attention. Those are the seven. So it's interesting to note that the Abhidhamma, which was composed in the 3rd century BCE, is a text which consists of seven books. In the first book, which is entitled The Summary of Dharma, right? it contains a chapter entitled Thought Engaged Upon the Higher Ideal. So in the circle seven, it says that a man's idea deal is his God. Okay. Keep that in mind. So this chapter speaks about the positive states of mind. The following is an excerpt from that chapter. Quote, which are the states that are good? When he cultivates jhana of the higher ideal, the rapt meditation, whereby there is a going forth and onward making for the undoing of rebirth and when that he may attain to the first stage he has put away views and opinions and so aloof from sensuous appetites aloof from evil ideas enters into and abides in the first jhana wherein conception works and thought discursive which is born of solitude is full of joy and ease progress thereto being difficult and intuition sluggish so in that passage it mentions the term jhana in the Pali language is a form of meditation in Buddhism it refers to the different states of samadhi samadhi is a state of mind in which one is detached from several qualities of the mind. So in this state of mind, one has become firm and stable. And the opposite is the instability of man. There's a whole chapter in the Circle 7 about the instability of man. The ability to concentrate is greatly enhanced within samadhi, within this state of mind. So within the Buddhist text entitled Sutra, Pitaka, it states that Samadhi practitioners can cultivate supernatural powers, which are called Habijna. Okay, so the Sutra Pitaka lists several of these powers that the that the Buddha develops. So Habijna is translated as higher knowledge. Okay, so in Buddhism, this is achieved through virtuous living and meditation. It includes extrasensory abilities such as seeing past and future lives, as well as the super mundane extinction of all mental bias, which is known as Esava. Okay, that's your mental bias. All the prejudices and uh, and the um, and the filters 
that causes you that distorts your perception of things. It's important to note that the very word Buddha means enlightenment, as I've mentioned before. So when a person becomes one with their higher self, which is the omnipotent in man, then that person be- also becomes a Buddha. And in the story of Jesus, it says that in the circle seven, it says that Jesus himself was a Buddha. And this is confirmed in the Holy Quran of the More Science Temple of America, which is also known as Circle Seven, in chapter 11, further down in verses 41 to 45. Okay? So that's very important. So verses 41 to 45, you go into. And it says, now, Vijapati wisest of the Indian sages, chief of temple Kapavistu, heard Bharata speak to Jesus of the origin of man and heard the answer of the Hebrew prophet. And he said, you priest of Kapavistu, hear me speak. We stand today upon a crest of time. Six times ago, a master soul was born who gave a glorious light to man. And now a master sage stands here in the temple, Kapivistu. The Hebrew prophet is the rising star of wisdom deified. He brings to us a knowledge of the secret things of Allah and all the world will hear his words, will heed his words and glorify his name. You priests of Temple Kapavistu, stay, be still, and listen when he speaks. He is the living oracle of Allah, and all the priests gave thanks and praised the Buddha of enlightenment. So the Indian sage Vijapati is mentioned in that passage, um, should not be confused with the renowned Indian poet who who went by that same appellation, the same name. And that that name is actually a title. So the name Vijapati comes from two Sanskrit words. Vidya, which means knowledge, and Pati, meaning master. Thus, Vijapati was an adept master of knowledge who recognized Jesus as a master sage and a Buddha. So once again, with the title Buddha, light is associated with the spirit in the sense that a spiritual lifestyle, which includes meditation, will lead to one's enlightenment. Okay. And, and of course, in Buddhism, meditation is very key for those who are even vaguely familiar with that. And so for the next part, I'm going to get into specifically the teachings of the cycles of time and how it relates to the wisdom of Buddha. Now, before I get into the aspect of the um, cycle ages, 
as it relates to the teachings in Buddhism, I just want to make this point that um, I have made the choice not to really get into great detail the life of Buddha, uh, the one that is recognized throughout the world as Buddha, um, only because um, there's so many different accounts and there's so much controversy uh, behind the life of Buddha, as with the life of Jesus, whether Jesus really existed, um, et cetera, et cetera, that I, I try not to focus so much on the messenger as the personality type, more so on the message, because even when you look at that, the title of Enlightened One, you, you are dealing with a title, you're dealing with titles and archetypes at the end of the day and these great men and women who walked on this earth you know um, so many years ago were prepared to deliver a message to to uplift fallen humanity and I think it just serves us better if we take the time to while honoring them don't don't steer away from the focal point of what they brought the message in which they brought and I think if we all take that approach and everything we don't get caught up in um, cult of personality man worship etc etc and that will take us closer to the divine Uh, but definitely honest to Buddha so with that being said uh, I want to get into the aspect of the teachings in reference to uh, the teachings of um, cycles of time. Okay, so within within the teachings of Buddha, um, there's a um, especially um, among the Tibetans, which is why I want to get into this because. Of course, uh, this was inspired by my visit to a Tibetan store. Uh, the teaching, the concept of time, the cycle in the cycles of time are, are taught very heavily. Um, even for many people who are familiar with the Dalai Lama, um, the 14th Dalai Lama that exists today, um, he speaks on the cycles of time so I want to get into that and which is important because that lines up exactly with the teachings of more science uh, which is what I teach um, you know that is the uh, I am a member of the more science temple of America and, and I'm a teacher within it so just putting it in context one of the things I want to say is that um, I mentioned that I wrote the book How Many Days Are in a Circle and one of the important reasons why I felt it so necessary to write that book How Many Days Are in a Circle and even within the, the cover of the book you'll see right on top the very words time never was when man was not and that's um, a direct quote from chapter one of the circle seven, the very first words in chapter one. 
in the first circle seven. Time never was when man was not. Is because we get so caught up as people in the constructs, in these false constructs of time. We get caught up in holidays. We get caught up in anniversaries. We get caught up in weeks, days of the weeks, months, years, in the Gregorian calendar itself. Uh, I'm speaking for those who follow the Gregorian calendar, which is, um, I take it, the majority of my listeners at this point in time, uh, they all um, basically work around the Gregorian calendar. And even some of the most enlightened ones or the people who are who profess to be the most conscious, um, when I hear the conversations in reference to this, you know, their conversations, I still realize that they are circular is founded on a European construct of time, the Gregorian calendar, which was which is faulty by nature. And I'm just going to go real quick into it. Um, as of this particular um, recording, at the moment of this recording, this is considered to be the month of December. If you look at the de- word December by the etymology, dese means 10. So technically, December is supposed to be the 10th month. But it's the 12th month of the Gregorian calendar. You can take it to November. Go backwards. Nove, nine. But it's the 11th month. October, octa, like octagon, eight. That is, but October is the 10th. September, septa, seven. But it's the ninth month of the year. You see what I'm getting at? So that means two months were added into. What are those months? July and August. Where does July and August come from? July comes from Julius Caesar and August comes from Augustus Caesar. Something most people don't even know. That's just the months. We're not even going to get into the days (laughs) and et cetera. But I went into that in this book. I go deep into this and how, how the, um, concept of um, the Gregorian calendar um, really takes us out of time, natural time, I should say. And natural time for us is really cyclical um, um, time. It's in this cyclic time in the cycle. And there's a, for those who have not checked out my interview um, with or me being interviewed by the brother, my good brother, Dr. Aleem El Bay. Um, check out his YouTube channel. Um, the title of that is called We Measure Time by Cycle Ages, where we go deep into it about the whole aspect of um, cycle time as opposed to linear time and how we need to get back into cycle time. But with that being said, I want to give ref, um, give reference to the Circle Seven specifically um, in reference to cycle ages. Um, that particular section, which is Chapter Two, Circle Seven, Verse Twelve, which states, "We measure time by cycle ages, and the age to every 
I'm sorry. Let me repeat that from the beginning. <laughs> we measure time by cycle ages and the gate to every age we deem a milestone in the journey of the race. We measure time by cycle ages and the gate to every age we deem a milestone in the journey of the race. That one verse, verse 12 of chapter 2 in the circle 7, is represented in the symbol on the front of the circle 7. Where you see what is four concurrent arcs right giving the appearance of a circle because a a true circle there are no openings in a true circle there's no such thing as a broken circle but in this appearance of these arcs these four arcs you'll see openings that would be considered your gates and this is represented of the illustration of time and cycle ages and going through those gates and the gate to every age we deem a milestone in the journey of the race and I go real deep into this in the book Um, for those um, who have not gotten the book you will not be disappointed on how I break that down Um, but let's get into the question of time what is time time is the progression of existence and incidents that that transpire in the usual sequence from the past through the present to the future time is a constituent amount of diverse measurements employed to arrange occurrences okay it's used to compare the interval of incidents or the duration between them and to measure degrees of variations of amounts within physical existence or in the conscious experience okay so you measure the degrees within your conscious experience in your physical existence by time the time you're born the time you die you know this time these moments of you just existing you mark it with time time is frequently denoted as the fourth dimension along with three spatial dimensions time has long been a key topic of research within religion philosophy and science however defining it in a way that's relevant to all areas without secularity has constantly evaded the intellectuals that word secularity that's dealing with the circle so early cultures right um, which you can get into your Incan, Mayan um, Aztec um, Olmec and uh, other Native American tribes indigenous tribes as well as the Babylonians ancient people of Kemet which is the original name or early name of Egypt your Hindus and your Buddhists etc 
possess the ideal of the wheel of time. They considered time as cyclical, comprising of recurring ages that occur to each being of the universe between birth and extinction. The wheel of time is also known as Kalachakra. Okay. Now remember I told you I'm, I would be reading from my book How Many Days Are in a Circle. And if you have that uh, if you have that book with you uh, I'm in on page 9. So I'm getting into the Kalachakra. The Kalachakra is a word utilized in Buddhism which means wheel of time or time cycles. Kala right, is a Sanskrit word meaning time. Keep in mind that the word chakra itself comes from the Proto-Indo-European word right, kekalos right, and its cognates includes the Greek word kuklos, right so chakra literally means circle in English okay, which you can refer to also in the book what is the higher self okay and I'm and I'm jumping I'm jumping if you have both books you can go to page 22 in what is the higher self where the question is asked what is a chakra okay so answer is that in buddhism and hinduism a chakra is an energy point in the subtle body so let me just explain this while I go further uh, there are I've seen recently where there has been a um, number of people within the conscious community who have uh, actually gone out of their way to dispute the existence of a chakra and have have even gone as far as to say it's uh, compared it to Jesus being a myth or or the tooth fairy or Santa Claus right because they have you the, you've never seen a chakra okay you can't see a chakra so it doesn't exist it's a mystery it's a spook and to which I would say respectfully you never seen love you never seen hate you never seen you never seen any emotion what you see is the expressions that people the the behavior that people do that is associated with the emotion but you can't measure there's no instrument that measures love by decibels or anything there's no scientific instrument for that you can't see it under a microscope you can't say oh love is coming from I see the love in this instrument coming from uh right underneath the bottom part of your heart it is nothing like that you don't see emotions there's many things that we speak about um in everyday conversation that you don't see you can't even you can't even clearly measure it but it exists and to have an understanding of chakra as an energy point and if you don't want to say the word chakra because, you know, it's, it's a 
Sanskrit word is a Hindu word is from India is not you know and not it doesn't relate to your paradigm then just use energy points and if you use that terminology to replace chakra then you would you would have a better understanding of what you're dealing with people use a lot of words because they sound fancy and of course it's been accepted the word chakra which is an older word a lot of people use it very loosely a lot of start, I hear a lot of people starting to use the word Naga very loosely. We the Nagas, and, and they don't understand what Naga is. They understand the four different types of Nagas. <laughs> because they include from primitive Naga to supreme Naga. I mean, and that's cool. That's cool. But uh, one of the things I do when I um, teach and when I've written books is really... Um, put it from a point of straightforwardness, get to the root of it, get it to the etymology, get into the language of it. So there's no spookism behind it. It's nothing, nothing abstract. I'm not coming off freestyling off the top of my head where it sounds good, like a rap, you know, like a, a battle rap, <laughs> you know, flipping words, you know, because we have to be serious on this path, this journey that we're getting into to to be with our higher self, to develop ourselves spiritually. So I just wanted to put that out um, because that has come to my attention. And, uh, you know, I respect everybody's opinion on it, but we shouldn't be so quick to discredit this information. If you don't know it, you don't know it. There's many things that I don't know and I won't be quick to discredit it if I haven't gone to do the research on it. So further, going further, chakras are a part of the subtle body, not the physical body. And that's why you don't see it with the physical eye. They are the meeting points of the subtle metaphysical energy channels, which are called neti in Sanskrit, which means a tube or a pipe, Right. Okay. So they also refer to as rivers as well. All right. And um, there's three major netis, um, and I, which I go into in the book, uh, what is the higher self. But netis are channels in the subtle body through which prana, which is the life force, moves. Many scriptural texts offer a diverse number of chakras. There are many chakras according to the tantric text, but there are seven chakras that are thought to be the most important ones. There are seven main chakras that are recognized in Buddhism as well as Hinduism. So keep that in mind. So of course you'll hear people say, oh man, there's 14 chakras. There's 99 chakras. There's nine chakras. There's... They'll tell you hear so many different numbers because that's based on the various texts that have come throughout time and also various interpretations that came after the text right um, but throughout all of it the reason why you constantly hear seven is because even with those extra ones they always understand the seven that is constant throughout of it, throughout all of those um, different teachings. So 
I'm just going to go keep it at that pertaining to the chakras. And um, of course, in my book, I go into uh, various basic, I should say, um, illustrations going into there. I just want to make a quick point um, before I get back into the cycles of time is that the seven main chakras are said to correspond with the seven planes of existence. Each chakra is of a specific color, which corresponds with the seven colors of one's aura, which is a subtle electromagnetic field that surrounds the physical body. Furthermore, okay, um, you know, it's even said, and this is according to Hinduism, not Buddhism, that there are said to be seven lower chakras, right? So that's from there, people get their concept in that way of the higher self, lower self. But that's just a, an additional thing for you to look up on your own. Now, in reference to the Kala Chakra, Kala Chakra is commonly utilized to denote an adept teaching and practice in Tibetan Buddhism. Right? It's very heavily taught in Tibetan Buddhism. It's one of their adept teachings, it's one of their high teachings. Even though the knowledge is quite complex and metaphysical, there is a custom of presenting it to the masses. So, thus, you know, if you look up um, various uh, videos and things pertaining to Dalai Lama, there's a mention of it, of these cycle times. But to really grasp it, it's a higher teaching. You know, you're not going to. Especially if you're caught up in this Gregorian calendar, it's not you're not going to learn it in one day. The Kala Chakra teaching revolves around the idea of time and cycles, as we mentioned about cycle ages, right? We just mentioned about that in chapter in, in the Circle Seven, right? So, and this is from the cycles of the celestial objects to the cycles of one's own breathing so your own breathing has a cycle right and I went into like towards the end of the book uh, how many days are in the circle I actually go into the aspect of what's known as chronobiology and the um, the circuceptive rhythm Circa meaning circle. Septin is seven, as I mentioned before, like September. Rhythm. The circle seven rhythm. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So it gets deep. And I, I, I'd have to go into a whole nother podcast to get into that. And that's actually at the end of the book. When you read everything else, you get to the end of the book. And I get into that. Uh, Circuceptin rhythm, it, it blows you, it will blow your wig back, figuratively speaking. But anyway, um, so one's own breathing, you have cycles in your own breathing. Um, the Rosicrucians speak about um, the 52 day cycle, five and two is seven, right? And how there's seven of those cycles, um, in reference and where you can 
actually go with the best time to do certain things. And I may have mentioned it before, but I, those are things that I always go back to. You'll hear me say things from time to time if you've been following my uh, episode, following my podcast. So just keep that in mind. I'll revisit that again. And the Kala Chakra teaches the exercise of manipulating the subtlest energies. Remember, I talked about the chakra and the subtle body within one body. Manipulating the subtlest energies within one's body on the journey on the journey to becoming Buddha. So this is where you will get into your own um, meditation. You have the Om Ah Hung and where you actually emanate certain colors in these meditations through your breathing and your chanting and your mantras because these mantras deals with frequencies of the universe um, various frequencies that you vibrate on remember all planes deal with vibration and and as I mentioned in chapter 11 about the account of Jesus and Barato reading from the wisdom of Buddha. Okay. Now, I want to go ahead and just put this in context. Okay. When you understand cycle time, cycle ages, and realize time never was when man was not. This ties back to what I've been saying in in my series on Kabbalah, which why I will continue with again, is that you realize that you are you have incarnated into a body to operate within a certain a certain um, measurement of time to do certain things. But you're not bound to it unless you mentally become bound to it. There, um, and this brings up another point. Yesterday, I had the um, pleasure of watching a show uh, on Netflix. I don't really watch TV like that. I did not even know that this show existed. It's been in existence. They had two seasons of it and they canceled it. Um, It's called Altered Carbon. Anyone who wants to see that um, wants to see a good sci-fi um, TV series, watch Altered Carbon. Altered Carbon is nothing but more science. Uh, it's chapter one, circle seven, where it basically tells you the term that they use for the body of sleeve, where certain people, when they die their consciousness which is um, located I think in the base of below the by the base of the the head of the the skull so you can't have any blunt trauma if you could take it doesn't matter if you die that they can take your consciousness I guess in the form of a chip or whatever and put you into another body that they call a sleeve because you're re-sleeved and as long as that part of you is not destroyed you will live but once that is destroyed then they say that is real death 
And so it's a whole big thing about, you know, these um, these individuals, these beings that can experience death, right? But the consciousness is stored and it's put into another body. Basically just saying that you're not your body. And that's what Buddhism teaches. Of course, Buddha is known for the very um, widely recognized statement that desire is the lead to all suffering. So again, dealing with the cycle time, when you incarnate into this construct, it is your desires and your attachments that causes you to suffer, right? In more science, in the... um, in the third chapter, it speaks about the lower self being the body of desires, the carnal body, the body of desires. And the ultimate goal of us is to transcend from our lower self to our higher self. So we have to transcend where we no longer have these desires. We're no longer attached. So Buddhism is definitely a very key part of um, the lessons within it are very much incorporated in what I teach and the lessons within more science in the circle seven. And so I definitely give honors to Buddha, all true and divine prophets. I give honors to all Buddhists, Confucius, all Muslims, those seeking the path of enlightenment. And I hope this was of benefit to you. So with that, until next time, peace and love.